This is the Bigger Pockets podcast. I didn't look to see what number it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 392. This is the Bigger Pockets podcast, show 392. We bought our first house in December of 2015. And a couple of weeks after we closed, we had all the rooms rented out. And from that day to this, we have literally never missed a month's rent across any room in any house. We've never even missed a day's rent. It's in that high demand in this high priced area. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast for another amazing show today here with my co-host, David Green. David Green, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? It's going really good. It's Monday. Just had a very relaxing weekend. Got out and got some running done. I got to go see my mom, bought some mm, new fancy. realtor clothes, and it's just a really good time to be in real estate. The market is red hot. If you haven't refinanced your house, you should absolutely look into doing it. Brandon, I know we talked about you. You refinanced yours. I did. Rates are really low. Just a public service announcement for everybody out there on Bigger Pockets. If you own a primary residence, look into refinancing while you can. And even That's a good quick tip. Yeah, that is a good quick tip. I should have saved it. Maybe we can just use it there. Um, <laughs> one thing I want to say is that when the market's this hot, a lot of people just get out of real estate investing at all. They say, I don't want to do it. It's too hard to find a deal. That's what we hear all the time. Well, today's guest figured out a way to make a hot market work for him. He created a strategy that capitalizes on hot markets, yeah. makes his job easier, just very similar to the market I'm in in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I've been helping clients do this. And then he came in and he talked about it. I'm like, oh, there is other people that are doing this and he's doing it yep. good. This is a show where if you live in a, in a hot market, even if you don't, but especially if you do, you are going to love every word that comes out of Todd's mouth. Yeah. Today, Todd talks about things like how his first deal netted him over 100% return on investment, which is cool. How he hires maids for some of his properties, which is or all his properties, which is probably a strategy you've never even thought of doing before, but it's kind of f uh, fascinating. I think you're going to love it. And uh, he, basically, he makes like twelve over 12 grand a month in pure cash flow after all expenses have been paid and he's only 28 years old so he's gonna go through exactly how he does it he has a really unique strategy something we haven't talked a lot on the show about but before we get to that i want to go back and talk about something you just mentioned david realtor clothes do realtors have clothes now is that like a thing i don't want to, i don't want to let you go on that well, you bought new clothes uh, yeah so this is the problem i'm really like you're uh, not wearing it right now no, you're in a hawaii i'm shirt. like a nine-year-old <laughs> in a six foot two body. That's my problem. Right? <laughs> I still would rather wear t-shirts all the time. But when I'm being a realtor, I found that if you don't dress the part, it's harder for people to mm -hmm. take you serious. If I go to sell your million dollar house and I don't look like I really prepared for that event, I could be the smartest person ever, but you're not going to hear me. You can't get past yeah. my, my clothing. So I've learned that although I don't judge people by the way they dress, I have found that it's easier to trust certain people based on the way they dress. So if I show up in a suit, people would think, okay, he's taking me serious. He takes my house serious. I'll listen to what he has to say more seriously. There's another quick yeah. tip for you is like dress for the goals that you yeah. have rather than just as an expression of your own individuality. Look at this, just firing quick tips to left and right. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up the story at some point of uh, the first time we hung out in person. First I didn't time want I ever to embarrass you. you again. Plus, you always <laughs> deny that you said it every time. You're like, I didn't. David, I said nothing but good things about you. I didn't give you a list of things to change if you want to be my friend. The first time I talked to David, I just said he was wearing like sweatpants with holes in it, I think. And he's wearing like, <laughs> like no shirt. And he was at a, a millionaire meetup. Like it was like all millionaire, like business owners. And, uh, you know, he, he took his, uh, his, I don't know, his shirt and pants and i said you should you should dress the part that's so much nicer and, than uh, how you said it I <laughs> that's love so it. much meaner than how i said it <laughs> anyway moving on that's a good quick tip let's get to today's official quick, quick tip. tip all right the official quick tip today is look uh, our guest today todd baldwin is actually going to be featured in the upcoming edition of the bigger pockets wealth magazine this magazine is phenomenal it's shipped to your house it's really cool it's got a lot of articles and a lot of uh, information and data that you're not going to get anywhere else so and it's super cheap it's not much at all and we can give you 15 percent off if you use the code episode e-p-i-s-o-d-e -E, when you check out on bigger pockets uh, wealth magazine to get it, just go to biggerpockets.com slash magazine. Again, the code is episode for 15% off. It's like literally like a few dollars in a, 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 an issue. And it's if you much. don't read magazines, that code episode will also work for the magazine, depending on what you like. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> 
You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. All right. Let's get to the uh, today's guest. Like we said, it's Todd Baldwin uh, has a great strategy. So let's just jump into it now before David can make fun of me anymore for how I say magazine. All right, Todd, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. Good to have you here. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. So tell me about yourself. Where are you? Uh, where are you from? What do you do? How'd you get into real estate? Sure. Absolutely. So uh, I live in Seattle with my wife. Uh, we met going to college a couple hours up north, but basically I have an oldest story in the book. I grew up, you know, not a whole lot of resources, single mother, we were struggling. And I knew from a very early age that I wanted financial independence and real estate was the best way that I could see doing that. So I bought my first house when I was 23, I believe. And uh, now I'm up to six properties. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. So first house at 23, was that a house you lived in or did you, was that a rental? I did. Yeah. So I lived in that house. So basically what we did was we bought a house. It was the first time my girlfriend at the time, she were married now, but it was the first time we were going to live together. And we just saw what rents were in Seattle. They're astronomical through the roof. Crazy. Yeah. crazy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we decided to buy a place and we were able to uh, go to South Seattle and actually build a brand new house. And it was too much house for just the two of us. We decided to rent out the extra bedrooms to my college friends which basically meant we were living for free. Our mortgage, taxes, and insurance was paid for every single month by our roommates. So that's, that's how we started. That's awesome. Hey, how, do you, how do you convince somebody, to, meaning somebody, meaning a spouse, that like, okay, well, I got this good idea, honey. We're gonna buy a, we're gonna build a nice house, your dream house, and then we're gonna fill it with my college buddies. Like, how, do you, how does that conversation go? Because there's people listening right now that like, that idea of house hacking sounds awesome, but trying to convince a spouse that, or a significant other that you're gonna live with other people especially in the rent by the bedroom kind of house hacking, which you did. How do you convince them? Yes, absolutely. Great question. So here's what's hilarious is my wife and I actually argue over whose idea it was. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was my idea, but she sometimes, I, I think I had to sell her to get on board, but now that it works out great, she thinks that it was her idea. At one point she thought she invented it. I was like, no, you didn't <laughs> invent it. <laughs> so but that's a great question. I mean, 
it all goes back to choosing a partner that has similar goals to you. Luckily, my wife and I, we're both very frugal and we have pretty high goals for the life we want to live. And living for free while we're young and in our 20s, before we have kids or anything like that, was just a great way to sort of launch ourselves into this life we want to live now. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. Having that shared vision of where you're headed, like knowing together, that's a big part of it. Uh, I like to tell people the way I got my wife, I've told this story many times on the show, but for those who haven't heard it, the way I got my wife on board was I asked her to read Rich Dad Poor Dad for, for a while, and she just didn't really want to read it. And finally, I traded her. I said, I will read any book you want me to read in exchange for, you You know, I'll read any book you want. You read Rich Dad Poor Dad. So I read the uh, Twilight series uh, in exchange for her reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. And it worked. Once she read the book, she's like, oh, I get it. I get the mindset. And then she was all, uh, you know, gung-ho from then on. So whatever you got to do, get yeah, them on board. That, you know, it's <laughs> funny. So I'm, I'm really into those books. I love Rich Dad Poor mm-hmm. Dad. Um, I love all that stuff. My wife actually, she, she's really smart, but she doesn't, she's not really into any of those books. But I still, I was able to get her on board. Uh, I'm pretty much more of like the, the income guy, like got to go out and get the next deal. And she's really frugal, like trying to cut back on spending and save money. So we make a, a pretty good team. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, it, that's kind of like that. Uh, what's that book? Uh, Rocket Fuel. It's like the sequel to Traction. It's about having like every good company's got to have two people. Like there's a visionary who's like, I'm going to go do all this cool stuff. And then the yep. integrator's like, hey, what's the budget though? <laughs> and so like it, that also works in a relationship as well. Which is Let me cool. right, so jump in here. Brandon, have ahead, you please. ever been in a relationship with anybody of any type where you were not the idea guy? <laughs> I started at Bigger Pockets as the integrator. Like I mean, right. Josh and I started working together, Touché. right? Like Josh, Josh hired me essentially, or we for like to just write blog posts. Like, yeah, that was all I was doing in the beginning. So I was not the idea guy then. And then Todd, in your relationship, did you notice that <laughs> that those roles ended up being what it looked like, or was that more of a business thing? And in a personal relationship, you didn't think it was applicable. No, I mean, I like by trade, I'm a salesman. So I I actually dropped out of college to take a sales job. And the the commission from that sales job is how we basically bought our first house. Mm. But no, so I'm, I'm the go getter. I'm the idea guy for sure. Actually, my wife and I like to consider ourselves where I'm the kite and she's the line. Mm. And without her, I would probably just float away. But without me, she would never even realize that flying is possible. So we we do balance each other out quite well. Beautiful. And that's actually very similar to what Brandon was saying. I think, you know, like mm-hmm. you got to have, I, I always call it the, like the driver and the filter. Brandon's job is to go say, we could do anything. Let's just go do all of it. But he's useless unless he has a filter who comes and says, dude, hang on. This is ridiculous. It's never going to happen. But the filter <laughs> never gets anywhere. If they're just saying no to everything all the time, like telling you what could go wrong, they have to have something to filter, which the person has to bring. So, you know, we're talking about this because I would say, Brandon, you probably agree. A lot of questions come from, uh, one partner in a relationship saying, can you help me get the other one on board that you got to both mm-hmm. be going in the same line. And as you guys are going to hear from Todd, he has an incredibly inspirational and powerful story, but I'm recognizing right now, this never would have even happened if you couldn't have got your spouse on board. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it goes back to just honoring, if, if you have a spouse that's concerned about a big risk you're taking, like instead of just shutting them down, really hear that. And they're, they're your partner in this. You know, if, if it's bad for you, it's bad for them. And if it's good for you, it's good for them. So I think just coming together, being on the same page and, you know, even if you are the driver, really honor your spouse, if they're the one that's kind of taking the back seat and, and, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta do your thing and, and make sure they trust you in it. And, uh, but, but you got to respect them as well. Yeah. Smart, wise words, man. Well, let's move on to your next deal. So what happened after that? You lived in that house with yes. the roommates. Yeah, what happened next? So I'm we're living for free. It's awesome. At the time, I was 22 or 23. And for my sales job, I was already making six figures. So that was great. And my wife is a CPA working for a very large accounting firm. So we were pretty much just saving like 90% of our income at that point because we were nice. just living for free. And so- <laughs> I love it. It, it was awesome. Um, and by the way, I don't know if this is important to your listeners or not, but we did buy that first deal with a first time home buyer program. So we got to put a three and a half percent down. Nice. But um, for our second deal, we decided to build another house actually right across the street uh, for a rental. And we decided we were going to rent out that house completely by the bedroom. So that house we did, um, it was a, I did a deal with a builder. I had to put 20% down. And that was, I think, 120 grand at the time was my uh, down payment. And it was a six bedroom, three bathroom house. And we literally had all six bedrooms rented out within like a week of posting an ad. So that house was amazing. So that was great. That's currently, you know, the market rent for that is maybe 2,800 bucks a month. We're getting closer to 6,000 because we house hack it. (laughs) So it's incredible. 
And um, then three months after that, we bought our third house, which we again bought owner occupied and we moved into that one and rented out the master that we were staying at at the first house. Okay. So you went, so you went from the one house, then you built the house across the street and you rented all the bedrooms. So you actually didn't live in the second house, right? Correct. You we just bought it, rented that one out. Yeah. We just bought it as a rental house, but specifically for the bedroom. All right. So you, I mean, this is the whole topic I want to get into is you, you built a house to then rent out by the bedroom and it cash flowed. I mean, that's a strategy yes. that we've, I don't think we've ever really covered here on the show before, but that's kind of fascinating. Like the fact that you could build a house and then you could design it the way you want for knowing what you're going to be using it for, like a rent by the bedroom kind of scenario. And then like, yeah, then you have fewer repairs and maintenance ideally. Cause it's just a brand new house. You're not dealing with 1940s plumbing or electrical. Like, I mean, that just sounds you get awesome. a premium on the rent. Yeah, that's another thing. People are going to want to live in a brand new house. Right. Yeah, exactly. So and and this is probably unique to this podcast because I've actually like I'm not really skilled when it comes to big rehabs or anything like that. Like I can I know my way around a few things, but I'm by no means an expert. So every property that I've bought, it's actually all been new construction. And my wife and I have picked out, you know, the flooring and the carpet and all these things and made sure it's going to be a good design for bedroom rentals. And I will say, I mean, we have the benefit of living in an incredibly expensive area. Area. So people, especially young people, are happy to pay nine hundred, a thousand, even thirteen hundred bucks for a room because yeah. a studio apartment is like twenty two hundred dollars, no utilities included. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is a really neat strategy if you live in an expensive market mm-hmm. because, like, like if you're in David's market or my market or your market, like we all live in very expensive markets right now. So if you can do the rent by the bedroom idea. So that, that really fascinates me, the rent by the bedroom, because I've never actually done a rent by the bedroom. So I want to dig into some of the, the, the ways you do that. So sure. first of all, like, how do you deal with, I mean, I, I guess you already said it, tenants are okay living like they, you had it full within a week, right? So like, obviously tenants are okay with just renting a bedroom. How do you advertise that? Do you just say, hey, bedroom for rent? Yeah, a great question. So I advertise on social media, obviously Craigslist. Um, I was on Roomy and then I had this app called RentHoop where it's almost like Tinder, but for roommates, like you swipe right for a match. It's hilarious. (laughs) But so, I mean, a a lot of my tenants by default are in their early twenties because most of them, you know, they're saddled with student loan debt. They're just starting Mm -hmm. out in their careers and they don't want to go out and spend a bunch of money on some bougie apartment yet. So what I have done, what me and my wife have done is we've done a few things to make it go smooth. So we have one all male house, we have one all female house, and then we have four mixed houses. So if there's a preference, you know, we, we have it in there. And then we also try our, our best to match by personality. It's not an exact science by any means, but I interview everyone before they rent a room. And basically, if someone applies for a specific house, I say, you know, I think you'd be a really good fit for the house down the street. Do you want to check that out too? And they really appreciate that because if there's not harmony in the house, then your business can crumble and nobody wants that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Is how do you handle conflict? You know, like, so-and-so is, you know, stole my shampoo or what, you know, whatever. Like Yeah. That, so uh, we, we have a very specific strategy and people might think this is so weird, but so one of the tips that I will say is we have a house cleaner go through every single house on a weekly basis. And she cleans each house from top to bottom, even scrubs like the bathrooms, the oven, you know, just all those things. Because one thing that roommates often fight about is mess. Another thing that roommate will fight about is, you know, if let's say you're buying all the toilet paper or the soap, but your roommate is the one using it all the time and never contributing. So once per month, we stock every house with toilet paper, paper towels, hand soap, dishwasher soap, Clorox wipes, just all the essentials. Pretty much the only thing we don't do is like laundry soap because that's a personal choice. But we try to solve these problems before they even exist. And that has been a great way. We also label everything. So like, Everyone gets, you know, a shelf or two in the fridge. Everyone gets their own cabinet in the pantry, stuff like that. So everyone mm. has their own space and it's pretty respectful that way. Dude, this is so good. Like I've, I've just like literally never like dove into this topic. So I'm just like, my mind's instantly working. Like, how do I make this work in Maui? Right. I, I got, you know, <laughs> can I do this here? Yeah, it's fascinating. Okay. So you, by separating ahead of the, the, the cleaner is, is genius. Like, cause I get, yeah. When I think back to my roommate life in, in college, like that was always the worst part is so-and-so was causing a big mess or so-and-so wasn't cleaning up after themselves. So having a cleaner, but that, that obviously takes a bit out of your profit. So let's talk finances. Like what does a, what does a house like this look like in terms of finances? What do you rent about? You said six, 6,000. Yeah. I mean, it sort of depends on the house and how many bedrooms there are versus how many bathrooms. So um, before I jump right in, I will say that's another tip is get a house with a really good bedroom okay. to bathroom ratio, but no, the numbers are great. So af- off of just six single family homes, in South Seattle, we bring in about 40 grand per month in gross rent. 
And after principal interest, taxes, insurance, after all the utilities we pay, and after the house cleaner, we net right around 13 grand per month as like pure cash flow. So it's really lucrative. And and you're right. You know, if I didn't pay a maid 500 bucks every week to go clean the houses, I would pocket that. But I also probably couldn't rent the rooms out for as much if there wasn't a maid. It's a huge draw, especially if you're going to be living in a house with five or six people. I mean, we have a house close to the airport. It's an eight bedroom, four bathroom house and all eight bedrooms are rented out. And that brings in, gosh, I think $7,825 per month in gross rent. 4000 per month on that one house is pure cash flow. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I love the fact that these are new builds because I just go back to like the thing I hate most about like landlording. I mean, I love being a landlord, but the thing I hate most about it is dealing with maintenance problems. Mm-hmm. And when you have a newer property, you just have fewer, not necessarily none, but a whole lot less than you're going to have with an old property. Absolutely. And I, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that were kind of skeptical. They're like, Hey, you're, you're paying a premium when you buy a new construction house. And, and they're right. You, you are, you, you can oftentimes, if you, you know, build buy a, an undervalued property and then you flip it, you can do really well. But for me, I knew that the house hack strategy and just renting it out by the bedroom would be a little bit more hands-on. And I didn't want to deal with maintenance problems because it's already, it's already a more involved rental situation than just, you know, renting out a, a normal unit to a family or something. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Can we jump in here and point out why this probably works in his market? Because I'm just worried that the people listening in an area that's less densely populated are going to be, oh, this is easy. I could go buy a house for 80000 and make six bedrooms. <laughs> it's This is an amazing strategy for Todd's market. And mm-hmm. there's a few reasons I would guess that make it work. And you correct me if I'm wrong. The Seattle area is having wild rent growth. If you just want to go rent a property right off the bat, it's very expensive. So there's going to be a demand for a cheaper option for a lot of people. There's also lack of housing itself. So if you have the option between rent a room for X and rent an apartment for a little bit more, you're going to get your own space. But because there's not many options, those apartments cost a lot of money. So there's a high level of demand. And then because of that demand, you're seeing an increase every year in what you can get for rent, which makes it even more likely that people are going to want an option like this. So you have to have a densely populated area where there's a lot of people that are kind of fighting over housing, at which case a lower, more affordable option is, is in high demand. If there's not a lot of demand for housing, when you offer a cheaper alternative, nobody really cares because they don't need it. Is that more or less accurate, Todd? Yeah, I think you're right on the money there. Um, a lot of what you're saying is true, especially especially in Seattle. I mean, we have Amazon here. We have Microsoft. There's so many like high-paying professions. And so right in the cities, right. all of those apartments are so expensive because they're they're tailoring to these, you know, tech guys that are basically like young people with super high salaries. So if you're anything but that, you know, if, if you make 60 grand a year, like you know, most people do. You don't. You definitely don't want to spend three grand a month on on some studio. So so we we get a lot of. I mean, to put it in perspective, we bought our first house in December of 2015, and a couple of weeks after we closed, we had all the rooms rented out. And from from that day to this, we have literally never missed a month's rent across any room in any house. We've never even missed a day's rent. Like I'll move out somebody in the morning, I'll send cleaners and painters through and I'll move somebody new in the afternoon. Like it is, it's in that high demand in this high priced area. Yeah, this is what I love about that is, David and I talk about this a lot. Every market has a way you can invest in real estate. I, like there's so many people, I did a poll on my Instagram recently where I asked people, uh, I basically just said, do you live in an, a, a market that's too expensive and competitive to get into normal rental properties. And 80% of people said, yes, mm-hmm. I live in a too expensive a market, which means it's the Seattle's, the LA's, the, you know, Chicago, whatever. Like it's all these like expensive areas of cities as more than the majority of our listeners are living. And so they th- think that they can't invest in real estate. They think they have to go buy in, or in, in Toledo or in, you know, Indianapolis. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that necessarily, but understand that there are ways to invest in every single market. And you just proved like, hey, this model works in this market. Uh, you figured it out. And so you don't have to go and buy a property in the Midwest where you don't live and don't understand, don't have a team. If you don't want to, you could figure out a way to do it locally if that if that supports your goals and what you're what you're doing. Now, a, a couple specifics, though, I'm wondering, like legality wise, mm-hmm. like have you have you dealt with this at all? Like, does the county care? Is there zoning issues with renting out bedrooms and a house? Yeah, great question. So in Seattle proper, you can have eight unrelated persons per house without any problem. As soon as the ninth one comes in, that's when like the legal problems arise. But what I did was I bought in an undervalued area going through a transition that's just outside the city limits of Seattle. 
still a Seattle zip code, but in this, in these suburbs, you can have two people per bedroom plus one. So for example, if you have a six bedroom house, you can have two people per bedroom for a total of 13 or excuse me, for a total of 12 plus one for a total of 13. And now I don't have 13 people in any one of my houses, but um, there's really, as far as just, you know, renting out by the rooms, there's no law saying that I can't do it. I cleared it with the cities. I wanted to make sure I was doing everything above board. Yeah, this is fascinating. It reminds me of that conversation we had with Joe Asamoah back in the day where he's doing the Section 8 thing in a really expensive market mm-hmm. where he, he he like remodels houses to the hilt, runs them on Section 8. Uh, this is another similar strategy. I mean, it's different, but it's similar in that it, it it works to solve some. One, it's helping with the low-income housing problem in America. Mm-hmm. You're giving people options that they wouldn't normally have. And it's giving the investor a way to make above-average returns for dealing with something that maybe requires a little bit more handholding or a little bit more whatever. But what what's also cool is like people renting these places are, are, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not the family of seven, you know, seven people with a little bunch of little kids running around destroying the property. These are like young urban professionals yeah. that probably have decent jobs. Absolutely. No, I, I literally, I literally have a guy renting from me right now who works for NASA. I have, a, <laughs> I have, I think four or five tenants that make six figures and they're renting yeah. a room from me for 900 bucks because they want to save for a house of their own. And yeah. as far as your point as uh, above average returns, it's unbelievable. I mean, I have people that told me you can't make money in real estate in Seattle, go buy in the Midwest. You can get, you know, 20% returns. I kid you not. And I can show any sort of spreadsheet to prove this on my very first deal. My, I was a rookie, didn't know anything. My very first deal, I am making a 100% cash on cash return. <laughs> I put, I, I mean, I put $19,000 yeah. down and yep. uh, on that house after the mortgage taxes, insurance, utilities, after everything, I'm getting $25,000 in profit. So it's actually over 100% return. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. All right. So let's kind of summarize up this, like this strategy a little bit. Like what, what are like the must know tips? If you want to run this kind of a business, like what, what are like kind of the summarize everything? What do people got to do? Absolutely. Okay. So there are some must know tips for you guys that you, you want to know. So the first thing is just like I did in Seattle, make sure it's legal in your area to have leases by the bedroom because some places, you know, some cities I've heard that they don't want you to lease anything out by the bedroom. They want it all to be, you know, by just one unit. And so, <laughs> they don't really like that that much. So make sure it's true. The next one is probably, in my opinion, if you're going to buy a house specifically for renting it out by the bedroom, I would avoid houses that have an HOA. And the reason mm. is many HOAs have rules about how many units can be rented. They often have rules about roommates, but particularly, even if they don't have rules about that, they definitely have rules about how many cars can be parked in the driveway. And if you have a house with six people, you want to have a parking spot for everybody and you want it to be legal for them to park, which actually brings me to tip number three is buy a house with great parking. At all of my houses, I buy big houses on large lots so that there's at least one parking spot for every rentable bedroom. So I mentioned earlier, I have a house about four minutes away from the airport. Eight people live there and there are nine parking spots at that house. And it's just a single family home, but I bought it on a huge lot. We put some gravel down and we made parking spots for everyone so that nobody has to street park. And probably just like the last couple of tips is you definitely want to get a housekeeper. Don't go to a Molly Maids or a Mary Maids, you know, or some professional service. Just find an individual in your area that you, you know, that you can interview and you can trust and you can hire. I, if I were to go for through Molly maids, it would probably cost me $400 to clean one of my houses. And I have someone cleaning all six houses for just 500 bucks, like literally less than a hundred dollars a house. So that is huge. Yeah, that's, that's so good. Mm -hmm. So many good tips in there. Uh, What about like, do you have any tips for avoiding Oh, like the whole, if you're including utilities, this is the landlording in general. Mm-hmm. Anytime a landlord includes utilities, that's when the tenant starts leaving their faucet running for two hours a day. They leave the window open in the winter with the, you know, air conditioning on or, you know, like all, or the, the heater on with the air conditioning on, or, and in the summer. Anyway, you get what I'm saying, yes. right? That whole problem of people just waste utilities when they're not paying it. Absolutely. Anything you've dealt with that? Yes. Oh, I have dealt with that. So the, the problem, here, here's the reason why I offer all utilities included. It would be very difficult for six people at the end of the month to split up receipts and be like, oh, who took the longer shower? You know, who left their bedroom light on? That would create so much hassle that it's easier if they just pay me one price. But to your point, I did actually come to a house one day. I was going to go, I don't know, like look at a sink that was clogged or something. And I literally come in 
and I have a guy sitting on the couch and the fireplace is on, the air conditioning is going and the doors are wide open. And I was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, I was really hot, but I like the ambiance. And I was like, bro, no, <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. So the, I have had that a couple of times. But again, I mean, I priced my rooms at a point that I, I understand that people won't, they're not going to treat the house like it's theirs because it's not theirs. And they will yeah. be a little bit wasteful for not paying it um, or paying for the utility specifically. So I priced through, I probably am, you know, I have expensive rooms. I have rooms that go for 1300 bucks for literally just a bedroom and a bathroom. And then I have rooms, I think the lowest one that I have is 850 bucks and it's basically a den. Um, yeah. So I, I priced it high to, to make sure I adjust for anything that will be wasted. Yeah. Very cool, man. Hey, hey, I want to, I want to shift over actually to ask David here the question because David, I know you as an agent, I mean, besides having uh, been a house hacker yourself, but you've also, you know, you've helped a lot of clients with house hacking. So David, what, what do you think? What tips do you have for people that maybe we haven't covered today? If, if somebody wants to do this, they want to either live in a house and rent out the other ones, or they want to buy a house or build a house and rent them out. Anything you want to add on that? Oh yeah. This is such a powerful conversation to be having for several reasons. A lot of people come and talk to me about the Burr book and the Long Distance Real Estate Investing book because I wrote those. And they say, should I Burr? Should I buy long distance? What should I do? And I tell almost everybody, before you even consider those, you should house hack. There are so many ways that house hacking is just, for most people, the best way to get into real estate investing. You get a lower interest rate. You get a lower down payment option. You don't have to burr if you only put 5% down on your property. You've already got, you didn't put any money in. You don't really have to worry about getting a whole bunch back out. There's also the fact that if you look at the cash flow, like if I have $50,000 and I can go invest that somewhere and get a 12% return, which is really good, that's $500 a month. But if that $50,000 becomes a down payment on a house and I can I, I can get $2,500 a month in rent for that same 50000 and I've reduced my living expenses by $2,500. That's the same as cash flow, right? In fact, it's actually probably better because it's not being taxed. Like cash flow is going to get taxed. Yeah. And when we get into the cash flow, cash flow, cash flow mindset, you start to miss the obvious ways that you can actually save yourself money. And house hacking is a big one. So what I tell my clients is you should house hack one house every year if you're going to invest in real estate. Anything in addition to that, you go buy in another state if you have to or you look at using the Burr method. But if you're skipping house hacking, you're just giving up the best strategy that you could possibly get into. <laughs> the other fact is that house hacking is a principle. It is not a within these box. That's what I love about Todd's strategy is he's describing house hacking, but it's not by a duplex living one right out the other. We describe it that way because that's the easiest way to convey a principle. But it's not just do this, buy a triplex and live in one unit, rent out the other. It can be buy, like Brandon, four houses on one lot. That's one of his best deals that he has. It can yeah. buy one house and build another house, house on it. Or it can be rent out by the rooms. Sometimes you can buy a house that has a basement that can be finished and you can house hack that way. There's a ton of ways for the creative person to make house hacking work if they understand the principle is that you are trying to reduce your biggest payment that you have in your personal life, which is your housing expense, by incorporating a way to rent out part of your rooms to other people. And then the last point I'll make is that a lot of people say, well, I don't want to do this because I want to like where I live. And that's great, but you're not committing to this for 30 years. You're committing to possibly owning the house for 30 years, or you could, yeah. you could sell it. You don't have to live there the whole time. If you don't like it, move out. Go house hack somewhere else next year. Or mm -hmm. go rent the apartment, and now you've got a place that can be a rental property. There's nothing wrong with that at all. The reason a lot of people don't jump in is they think it's a huge commitment. What if I don't like it? I love my house. Well, go house hack for a year, and if you don't like it, move back into your house and rent out all the spaces or all the rooms or whatever you're doing. It's so low risk because there's so much flexibility with it. And that's why I think so many people in the Bay Area, in Seattle, in Austin, Texas, all these expensive markets where a lot of our listeners live, they have good jobs. They're working in an industry that pays pretty good. They've got money to invest and they want to figure out, how do I get started? This is how you do it. Oh, you don't have a lot of money? You don't have a great job? You're not making a ton of cash? Well, you don't need a ton to go buy a primary residence. You can get in with 5% down. This is the way you do it. There's there's very few people that this isn't the very best strategy to get started with. And that's why I love people like Todd that are sharing this information, because who would have thought that a strategy that sounds this simple, buy a house and rent out the rooms, could be this profitable yeah. and this, I mean, I don't want to say easy, but relatively smooth because you've anticipated the problems you're going to have and you're getting ahead of them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think Good stuff. that that's, you're absolutely right. And I, and I will say too, is uh, it's 
house hacking solves a problem because most people also, you need a place to live too. So you might as well go buy a house that you're going to live in, whether it's a duplex you rent on the other half or a house that I've done and rent on the bedrooms. And, and anyone who says they're above that, uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't say this to like flex or anything like that, but when, when my wife and I, when our net worth crossed a million dollars, it was a couple years ago. And we were living in a house with six other roommates. We were sharing one car, which was a 10-year-old yep. Ford Focus. Like, and we were millionaires. And we weren't, you know, we weren't trying to go buy Lamborghinis yet. We're, you know, we're, we're building. And even now, I'm recording this in the bedroom of a duplex that we live in. We rent out the other half. We converted one of the garage spots into a studio that we had on Airbnb. And in this duplex, we we're living with roommates two years after yep. crossing a million-dollar net worth. Now, we're not going to live yep. with roommates forever. But I'm 28, you know, I got time and it's, it's just a great way to get started. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love the, I don't know if the word, yeah, maybe like humbleness of that, mm-hmm. like being okay with like not flaunting, like, you know, Hey, like, man, like I, I house hack, like it's okay. Like, you know, so many people are like, they love to spend money on things to show. What's that famous quote that you say on the internet? Like the people spend money on things they don't need to impress people they don't like. Yeah. Right. Like. Some people will want to do that because they're like, well, I, I deserve it. I have a good, I make six figures. I deserve a nice house. You know, I've got a wife now. I've got a husband now. We deserve to have nice stuff. And no one's saying you don't deserve it. But like, if you just sacrifice for a little bit at the beginning, like in your young 20s and 30s, especially, then when you're in your 40s, it's going to make such an impact down the road. And people are just so short-sighted. They don't see that. They just think, I want something nice right now. I want the nicer car right now. I want the nicer whatever. And so they go get it right now rather than just wait a little bit longer, sacrifice a little bit. Let me bring in a different mindset. If we every time we looked at getting a fancy Italian sports car and we said, well, I deserve it. If we flipped that around and said, do you deserve to have to pay $300 for windshield wipers? Do you deserve an oil change that costs $450? <laughs> do you insure car yeah. insurance that's more than the rent for the people that are renting your room, not to include the payment? You deserve better than that. You don't deserve to have to pay that much. The whole decision becomes different. And that's how you justify yeah. not buying the car. I don't deserve yeah. that. I don't deserve to be a slave to the, an image that yep. I'm trying to get for everyone else. And then all of a sudden you're like, Todd, it's not hard to live in a duplex when you have however many units that you have now, Todd, that you're renting out to different people. And you're just literally building an empire from the ground up, learning the principles that you're then going to scale into something bigger. That's what I love about the perspective that you take when you're looking at these things. And Todd's like, yeah, I'm a millionaire, but I'm a millionaire because I've lived a humble lifestyle. And so I'm going to cling to that and become two, three, four, five times that kind of a millionaire using these same principles in a bigger way. Absolutely. No, I, I think you guys are right. And it's it's not about not enjoying things in life, but there is a lot to say about delayed gratification. I mean, I, I will be completely transparent. The house that I want to raise my kids in will be a really awesome house right on the water. And, but if anyone asks me like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you're, you're in your early, I'm 28 now, but I plan to get it next year. It's like, you're 30 years old. How do you have a waterfront mansion? I'll, I'll be like, it's because I lived with roommates for five years while Mm -hmm. I was making Mm -hmm. six figures. And while, you know, even after I became a millionaire, that's how I did it. And I wasn't in a rush to go impress anyone. This is, this is the only piece of jewelry that I own. And I think this watch costs a hundred dollars. Like it's not, (laughs) it's not in it. And and, and like, I keep it in a box. (laughs) Like I don't, it's, I'm not a flashy guy. I'm a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy. And it just, it just works for me. I love it. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, 
You need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com slash BP. So let's, let's move on and talk a little bit about building because I've never built a, a new construction before. Mm-hmm. How do you, let's just kind of walk through that process. How do you find a lot? Do you find a lot first or the builder first? Do you have to buy in an area where the builder is already building like a subdivision? Like how does that work? And then how do you negotiate a price? Are you using an agent? All those questions. Great question. So um, <laughs> let me clarify. So I, the first yeah. house we found, what I found was a vacant lot with a frame okay. that was already on it. So it was already framed out, but nothing like none of the none of the insides were like, no floor was put down, nothing like that. So basically we contacted the builders and, um, you know, we were not risky cause I was making a good income, but we were, we were young. And so basically what I said is, Hey, I'm going to give you $10,000 and we want to buy this house and this will go towards our, you know, down payment or whatever. And if I can't get financing for this house, you keep the 10 grand. And they were like, awesome. I mean, they, they can't lose in that situation. They have a buyer lined up. And if I, if I can't do it, they get $10,000. So that was, that was very easy to do. Um, that same builder um, that I worked with, oh, and by the way, I didn't use a real estate agent. Um, so p- okay. part of my sales point is that I'm like, hey, you know, you're going to sell this house to me. You're not going to have to pay 6% interest to the buying or the selling agent. So you're or 6% uh, commission, I should say. So then that builder had bought the lot across the street, um, which we talked about. That was the second house we, we bought. So we work with them. We got to pick out, you know, a lot of the finishes and everything. And we work with them again. And, and same deal. I gave them earnest money and we ended up buying it without an agent. So they came out, I think they came out ahead like 36 grand because I paid them what they would have listed it for, but they didn't have to mm-hmm. list it. They didn't have to use an agent. That's cool. That's cool. So, but do you, how much choice did you have into the design? Like, did you get to tell, pick from a couple of designs or how much did you pl- like 
design it? So the first two, I didn't have a ton of choice in design. My fifth one, I had a lot of choice in design. And actually the fifth one was our first kind of experience with Airbnb as well. This was a like six bedroom, four bathroom house that also had a mother-in-law attached to it. And that was probably my favorite design that we have as far as like just coolness and rentability of it. And then the house that I bought um, in SeaTac, I actually, or excuse me, the house that I bought close to the airport, I didn't build it. It was somebody else's flip that I bought. And that was the eight bedroom, four bathroom house. So I had no choice over anything on that house. But as soon as I saw it, I loved it because I knew it would work well for our model. That's so cool. All right. So yeah, I, I building is one of those things that I would love to do. And what I love about the idea of building is that you can really design yes. from the beginning what like what works well for tenants, what works well for what's tenant proof, rather than what most builders do or what most homeowners do when they're building. It's like, what would be cute? What would my kids like? What would my wife or husband like? You'd be like, huh, what layout's gonna make most sense for 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 tenants? You know, how do I how do I put the bathrooms in the right spot that's not gonna be you know, weird. And how do I do enough bathrooms? And yeah, do they let you do things like, okay, I don't want a loft, turn that into two bedrooms. I don't need a family room and a living room, take the living room, make it into an office and a bedroom and I can rent those out. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it completely depends on who the, you know, who the builders are, but so we had an option where in our first house we could put a, you know, a bathroom in a closet in a space that was supposed to be like a family room or a game room or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I could put my pool table up there or I could get 1200 bucks a month. So, yeah. you know, I opted, I opted for that. And the duplex that I live in right now, it is literally the perfect in, well, in my, I'm biased because I love the place, but it's the perfect house hacking building because on my side of the duplex, it's three bedrooms, two and a half bath. And on the other side of the duplex, it's two bedroom, two and a half bath. And then uh, we converted one of the garage uh, spots to a studio so we can lease it to a family. We can house hack. We put on Airbnb. There's so much versatility with this duplex. And it's just like, if you, if you have a choice in design, absolutely. And also the bathrooms are good. Like people think it's like, Oh, it's weird that your house has, you know, four or five bathrooms. But if you go to resell that house, uh, personally, I don't think anyone's going to be like, Oh gosh, there's too many bathrooms. Like it's it's always a great thing. And it's another thing when you're representing clients to house hack or what you're doing when you're looking for it yourself, Todd, if there's four or five bedrooms and one and a half bathrooms, it's very hard to make that work to four or five different people. Like the bathroom count ends up, I always look for houses with a lot of square footage because we can Mm -hmm. add bedrooms in there and a lot of bathrooms. If it only has one bathroom, oh, like it's really hard to make that house hack because people will say on paper, oh, I can rent out four rooms, but they're not looking at stuff like what you said, where are they all going to park their car? Is it in an HOA with narrow streets and you can't put mm-hmm. your cars out there? Or is there not enough bathrooms? If there isn't enough bathrooms, you have to look at, can I run plumbing from one of these bathrooms into another area easily? Or would I have to run it across the entire house and build new bathrooms? So these are really good tips for people that are thinking, I want to go do what Todd does. You have to have somewhat of an idea for the design, how yes. it needs to look, how many bathrooms and where are they? And even at times, like, can I put a kitchenette on, in another part of the house and wall it off so that I can rent it out as two different units? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, having a, having a good bedroom to bathroom ratio, I mean, really any more than three at, at a max, you don't want more than like four people sharing one bath. That's like way too much. So yeah. my biggest yeah. producer is a house where uh, there's no more than two people to a bath. And that house, for example, we put, I gosh, I think I put 65 grand down it last year, it produced 96 grand in gross rent and like 50 grand after all the utilities and stuff was pure profit. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing, man. Amazing. All right, well, let's move on. I want to dive in a little deeper on the numbers of these deals. So let's move over to our deal deal deep deep dive. dive. All right, this is the part of the show where we dive deep into the numbers on a property and and how you found it, how you did all that work. So do you have a property in mind that we can then dig into? Yeah, I'll use my one close to the airport because I think it's the just the most impressive numbers. Okay, cool. Let's go. We'll start with number one. What kind of property is this? Single family home. And how did you find this single family home? Literally, I was up on Redfin at like midnight. I saw it as soon as it came online and I went to go see it the very next morning because I knew it was perfect. Awesome. And how much, this was the one you said that was like somebody's flip, Correct. Okay. Uh, How much was the property? Like, what were they asking for it? 634,000. I made a full price offer that morning and it was mine by the afternoon. Wow. All right. Todd, you are a man after my own heart. Go ahead, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I I, I teach a lot, you know, a lot of like, uh, 
you know, negotiation tactics and stuff like on webinars and whatever else. But like, that's always like my favorite tactic is just be quick. Like just be fast. Like it's amazing what you can get accomplished if you just are quick at, at like making offers, make an offer before anybody else even knows it's for sale. I, I literally, I saw it as soon as it came online, it came online on a Thursday. There was an open house set for a Saturday. So I saw it Friday before the open house. I knew it was perfect. Yep. I made them full price and I was like, give me this house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Okay. And as far as you negotiate it, cause you were quick. So let's go with, how did you fund it? Um, I just had my own cash. I put uh, 10% down owner occupied and I, it came out to like my cash to close was like 65 or 70,000, something like that. Okay. So you then lived in the property for a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So what then, what did the, what did you do with the property then? So rented it out by the bedroom. Um, I moved out of it, you know, not too crazy long after that, but that house now it's eight bedrooms, four bathrooms, and it generates right around $8,000 per month in gross rent. Wow. That is, that is a chunk of money. What's your mortgage on that? 3,600 and some change. Wow. And let me tell you guys something that's going to make everybody even more sick in general. <laughs> I, I'm not going to hold you to the exact numbers, Todd, but in general on properties like this, how much does each, each bedroom go up in rent every year? So actually something that I decided to do a long time ago was I, I never raised the rent on existing tenants. If a tenant moves out, then I'll of course rent it out at market. But if, whether I have a tenant stay with six months or six years, I don't raise the rent. The only time their rent would change is if they upgrade or downgrade units. Sure. So let's say that market rent, how much does market rent go up every year? Oh, sure. You know, 50 to a hundred dollars, sometimes $200. I literally just had a guy move out of a room and I released it for 250 bucks more per month. And that's what I'm getting at. And what was the mm -hmm. rent originally for that guy? Um, it was a thousand bucks and now I'm getting 1250. Okay. So yeah. that's probably on the higher end, but it's not uncommon to see something like that. And Correct. when you have four, five, six rooms in a property and they're all doing that, those numbers of what we're talking about with him look good. Guess how good they're going to look in five years? Mm -hmm. Over six bedrooms, yeah. over 10 properties, all just yeah. from house hacking. Like this, oh, is, yeah. this is the, you can do this and you can compete with the people that say, I don't buy in single family homes. I only buy apartments like the Grant Cardone, you know, single families are for suckers kind of a stance. Like look at the numbers of what you're doing and tell me that you're not beating a lot of those people and getting a lot of appreciation and getting flexibility. If you ever have to sell one of these properties, it's pretty easy. Try selling your shares in a syndication. It's not quite as easy. I think you found a really, really good way to maximize on a lot of investing principles. Yeah. As far as profitability, nothing touches it because these houses are built to be rented out to a family or lived in by a family. They're not built for by the room. As soon as yeah. they start prizing houses to be sold to be room rentals, then we're, then we could look at that. <laughs> no but no, I mean, and, and to your point about the appreciation in just four and a half years, I just kind of reran the numbers. I received over 700 grand just in appreciation. Um, plus all this crazy cash flow, you know, 13 grand a month in pure net cash flow. And that house that we were talking about, the four bedroom, or excuse me, the eight, eight bedroom, four bathroom. I had a teeny tiny little bedroom that when I first bought the house, rented out for $600 a month today, you know, two years later, it's getting eight seventy five per month. So it's, it's crazy. That's yeah. yeah, so good, man. And yeah, I just, I love the, I don't know if it's risk-free. Nothing in life is risk-free mm -hmm. here, right? But the reduced risk of like, you have a multiple exit option. Yes. Like you could turn it back to a single family if you needed to. You could sell the property if you needed to. Uh, you have a 30-year, most likely, a th I'm guessing, 30-year fixed mortgage all on them, all yeah. these, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're not dealing with commercial loans, which are like, you know, five years from now. Like, that's what I hate about my commercial mortgages is like, in five years, I have to go get a new loan. For those who don't know, like most commercial loans have a three to seven year balloon payment, which means you have to literally just go and get a brand new loan at the end of five years. And you have, I mean, interest rates could be 20% in five years. We don't know. Right. It's just added risk on commercials. You got a fix, not going to change for 30 years. The property is getting paid off every single month, getting reduced what you owe on it. It's appreciating over time. You get the tax benefits of owning rental properties. And you get the cash flow. So you get all four of the wealth generators compounding like with very low down payments, especially when you live in the property for a short time in the beginning. So you can get the owner occupied three and three and a half or 10% down. Just crazy. I mean, there's this benefit, 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 benefit at this. Yeah. And yeah. to your point, so we can legally pay zero tax on our gross rental income because of our depreciation schedule. Between the six houses we have, our depreciation schedule, we can take about a hundred and mm -hmm. I think 120 maybe 140. My wife's a CPA. She knows all of that, but around 120,000 yeah. in just appreciation, plus you write up all the interest. So what it maps out to is like the first quarter million dollars that we make on these properties, we legally pay <laughs> zero tax. Zero taxes. Yeah. So let me break, jump oh, in I and explain what he's referring it. to there. Cause depreciation is a confusing word. If you don't know what he's referring to, 
When we say appreciation, we're typically referring to properties becoming worth more. They're appreciating in value. Depreciation is not the opposite of that. It doesn't mean it becomes worth less. It's a tax term that is used to describe the fact that your home is more or less a, how would you describe it? Like a business asset, right? Like if you owned a restaurant and you bought a dishwasher, that dishwasher would slowly every year wear down until it was worth nothing. So you'd be allowed to write off part of the value of buying it. Well, the government knows that if you just wrote off the entire value of every house that you bought in year one, you go spend $600,000 and you can write that off of the money you made, they would never ever tax you for anything because everyone would just buy a new house every single year. So they let you take a percentage of it. I think it's divided over what, 27 and a half years? 27 and a half yep. years, right? yeah. One 27 and a half of it every year that you get to write off. So as long as your income does not exceed that number, you don't have to pay taxes on it because it's covered by the depreciation. And the trick is when you're buying a very cheap house, lower priced house, that 27 and a half number that you're dividing it by becomes very small. And so your rents will exceed it very easily. But when you buy a really expensive house and interest rates are this low, the house is expensive. So you get a lot of depreciation every year, but that payment is not because the interest rates are low and the rents are higher because the house is more expensive. So you get in this really smooth spot where you get higher rents, more cash flow, and it's protected by the depreciation of a more expensive house. And this is all ways that Todd has capitalized on knowing the rules of real estate investing, which are not rocket science at all, and then applying them in an efficient and creative way, which goes right to Brandon's point of he's got a lot of tools in his tool belt. He understands how to use these tools and he uses the right tool for the right spot. And he's efficiently investing in a way that isn't a ton of work and still protects your cash. So, I mean, kudos to you, Todd. That's awesome. What do you you say to people who say, well... I don't want to manage all these tenants myself. Is there a way that you can use a property manager for this? Do you hire someone to outsource it? How do you handle that? Yeah, good question. I mean, personally, I do manage it all myself. Part of it is because I'm dealing with personalities and nobody will care as much as I do about harmony in the house. Like an outside manager won't care as much. It's just a little bit more niche. But I mean, you know, as I mentioned before, we're, we're, bringing in right around $40,000 per month. If you could pay a manager five or 10% of gross rents to go manage it for you, you're still making so much money because of the insane cash flow. Um, you might you might not be getting a 100% cash on cash return on your first deal like I did, but maybe you get 80%. <laughs> and that's still a hell of a lot better than anything else yeah. you're going to invest in. So yeah, I mean, here, here's what I will say. For anyone listening that's thinking whether or not they're going to do this, If you haven't bought real estate yet, you're scared to kind of just take that plunge, buy a house for you to live in and then go rent out the bedrooms to your friends. That's the easiest way you can possibly start. You have to live somewhere. You might as well live somewhere for free or at least for very little. And that'll... Not that I recommend doing this other recreation I'm about to allude to, but the house hack that you live in, that you rent out the rooms is almost like the gateway drug to more real estate. (laughs) Not that I meant to, not that I say we should go do a bunch of drugs, but it's like, it kind of, you get a little taste and it's like, Ooh, (laughs) I like that. Yep. Yeah. I like to call compare it to like training wheels. Like my daughter Rosie right now is learning to ride a bike. So she has training wheels on. It's like hard to really fall off the bike. Mm -hmm. If you have those training training wheels on and, and house hacking definitely gives you that. So, hey, last question of the deal deep dive. Like what lessons did you learn from this deal? Anything you that good or bad that you learned from this? Mm, man, that's a good question. I think, um, the, you know, this, this specific deal that we talked about was I saw it. I knew it was perfect. So without hesitation, I made a full price offer and I got it. Mm-hmm. And I think the lesson from here is if it's perfect, you don't always need to nickel and dime and try to be sneaky and negotiate and blah, blah, blah. Just get the deal. Yeah. You know, like you, you can make up way more later in the appreciation and the cash flow with the rental income. Just get the deal done. As long as it is, it makes sense, checks all your boxes, get the deal done. Yeah, so good. So good, man. All right, well, that was the deal deep dive. Now it's time to head over to the last segment of the show. It's time for our famous four. All right, time for the world famous, famous four. The last four questions we ask every guest every week. And we're going to uh, throw them at you right now. Todd, number one. Do you have a current favorite real estate related book? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. All right. All right. What about your favorite business book? I like The Art of War, which isn't necessarily isn't necessarily a business book, but it's a great one that you can use in business. I agree. So that's not The War of Art, right? This is actually <laughs> the actual Art of War from like Sue. Sun Shu. How you say his name? Sun Shu. Yes. Is that his name? Okay. Cool. All right. We talk a lot about The War of Art as well. Right. That's another Brandon great business book. Brandon, you also had a I good quote a that I don't it. think you stole from anybody. 
that had something to do <laughs> something to do with that like like business is sports was it a mark cuban oh you did steal it if it came that from is mark, mark no, you didn't steal I it because you quoted him on it. i yeah. quote mark what cuban was that quote though? on that one I don't remember. It's like just like the the sport of business. Yeah, yeah. and you yeah. had some really good parallels between how being good at business requires the same things as being good at sports, and so you can get the same dopamine rush. You learn the same lessons. I would think that that applies to the art of war. Very similar. Understanding Absolutely. here in in war, it's your enemy. In business, it's not necessarily your enemy, but it might be your competition or your mm-hmm. opposition. Real estate is war. Okay. What about some of your hobbies? Man, I love MMA. Love boxing, archery. I'm a pretty active guy. So just any sort of like sports or activity related thing, I am all for. How much do you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast? Oh man, like every day. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Those are all the same things he's into. Yeah. That's funny. If you guys don't know, Joe Rogan has a podcast that's almost as good as ours. He's probably our closest competition. Not quite as good. No, I, I prefer you guys because you guys, uh, you know, you have value. You're teaching things and uh, it, you're teaching the people what they need to know. There we go. Thanks. Thank you, Todd. If you ever get on Joe nice. Rogan's podcast, feel free to let him know. We'd oh, I'll plug that. you guys for sure. <laughs> yeah, if anybody knows Joe Rogan and wants to get him on our podcast, that would not be a bad thing. I would not mind. No, I wouldn't be mad Joe about Rogan. that. We could go on his podcast, yeah, too. Yeah. Anyone out right. there who happens to know Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hook us up. Hook us up. All right. Number four. Last question from me. What do you think sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? Oh, man. You know, I am very seldom the smartest guy in the room. I have no degree of any kind. The degrees behind me are all my wife's. (laughs) She's the smart one. (laughs) But um, I'm just a dreamer who never gave up on the dream. And I, I think that's every successful person. You know, you start off with this idea, this dream, and you just don't quit. So... You know, you, you have to know your market, you have to do your research, but I think just kind of the, I don't know, like that, just that adrenaline rush of going and get the deal. I think you mentioned it before. It was like a dopamine hit. It can be when you like go do a deal. Yeah. And that for sure is true for me. Like I get so excited and so fired up. So passion for what you do. And I don't give a crap about the fear of failure. If I look stupid, I, I don't care. I would rather, I would rather fail and try than, than not try at all. That's really good. I think every successful person we talk to, they all have that in common. And it's the hardest part because the last thing you want to do is look stupid, especially when you put yourself out there as a person to follow. Now you feel Mm -hmm. this pressure like I can't do bad on a deal because there's an Internet full of haters that are going to jump on any mistake anyone makes and expose this person. But in reality, that's how you learn the Mm -hmm. fastest. You know, like a lot of those child celebrities, I I noticed that we just jump all over them every time they make a mistake. But we all made those same mistakes. We just didn't have social media and cameras and videos recording every single thing we did. And it's the people who made the mistakes earliest and most frequently that tend to learn the most. And so that's a great point. There's this catch 22 between the most successful people fail the fastest, but failing can get others to want to stop you from keeping moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, I guess, you know, some people would probably think it's a failure that I dropped out of college. Um, And, you know, but literally I dropped out of college when I was 22. By the time I was 25, I was a millionaire through real estate. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. So good. So good, man. All right. Well, with that, David Green. Last question of the day. I think, Todd, you have an amazing story. You are a very good teacher and speaker. People are going to want to know a lot more about you. Where's the best place for them to find that information? Sure. So I literally just started a YouTube channel a couple of months ago, teaching a little bit about real estate and just personal finance. That's just my name, Todd Baldwin. And they can also find me on Instagram at Todd J. Baldwin. Todd J. Baldwin. I'm going to go follow you right now. Me yes, too. sir. Thank you. Yeah. Go follow Todd. Follow Brandon. He's Beardy Brandon. Follow me. I'm David <laughs> Green, 24. Follow everybody. Learn as much as you can about real estate. Cause, Everyone. Because stuff like this, I think about it all the time. But if you're not exposed to real estate in the in the volume that Brandon and I are thoughts like this might not cross your mind, but you start following other people who are doing a lot of the same stuff that we're talking about here, as well as listening to podcasts, your brain will start to change. It will structure itself differently. And you'll see opportunity in places like where Todd does that. If you didn't have his perspective, you wouldn't catch it at all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Get into real estate. You got, you're either going to pay off your own house. You're going to pay off somebody else's house. Might as well pay off your What's own. That, what was that Albert Einstein quote about compound interest that applies here? Oh, it's like the eighth wonder of the world or something? Yeah. He said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it benefits from it. He who doesn't pays it or yes. something along those lines, right? Yes. Like that de- absolutely applies to real estate investing. 
Mm-hmm. You're going to build a lot of wealth for somebody paying for somewhere to live for your whole life. You might as well <laughs> yes. make it you. Yes. Awesome. Well, very cool, Todd. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, David, for being another awesome co-host as always. And uh, Todd, we'll see you around, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. See your future. All right, thanks. David, you want to take us out of here? Yes. This is David Green for Brandon. Now quoting other people and giving them credit for it. Turner, (laughs) signing off. (laughs) You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R, today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.